Thank you, Brother Cox. I'm going to sing just like that in heaven. I just know it. I just uh, believe it. I have faith. A few, amount, uh, few announcements today. Treasure Mountain, as I mentioned, is here, and I hope you'll stop by and see Josh and McKenna at their table there in the Revels building. Great opportunities for summer counselors, summer operational staff there at a great place to minister, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And so you'll enjoy stopping by, meeting them. There are graduates representing the camp uh, here today and tomorrow. Brother Smithy is requesting to meet with anyone interested in missions to Spanish-speaking people after chapel in the deaf section. So if you are interested in missions to Spanish-speaking people in the deaf section right after chapel. The missions conference schedule, we've gone over that. No classes next week, Monday and Tuesday. Chapel will begin promptly at 9.30. I was looking at the cue card yesterday with Brother Johnson. We've got a lot of testimonies and videos and preaching, of course, every day, and uh, just a lot of good stuff packed into those two hours, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Breakfast will be serve from 7.30 to 8.30. Lunch will run from noon until 1.45. So keep those times in mind for breakfast. 7.30 to 8.30 will be open. Lunch will go from noon until 1.45. We do have a home game tonight and tomorrow at 5 p.m. And uh, uh, interesting announcement here that you'll want to be aware of. WCBC Athletics has partnered with McDonald's and Chick-fil-A this year. Each basketball home game, random students will be selected for media timeouts and halftime challenges to get the chance to win a year's supply of McDonald's. If, 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 if you want to go to heaven early, this is your ticket right here. 52 free meals of your choice at McDonald's for a full year, one a week. Also for different uh, game competitions, there'll be Chick-fil-A entry coupons given away for the winners. These two uh, restaurants have been very kind to us to provide some prizes for our games to be awarded, and we're looking forward to that. And uh, take advantage of these home games. We don't allow students to go to away games just because of the schedule here and the travel and all those kinds of things. And I know sometimes we'd like to uh, just all pile on a bus or all get in our cars and go see them play away. But uh, we have a good number of, of home games this semester and again next. So take advantage of those games when they come. And we have two of them tonight and tomorrow night at 5 o'clock. Brother Luke Moore is coming, and Luke is, of course, working hard to prepare for the missions conference, and he has a lot on his plate, and I want to thank many of you that have volunteered to help him with setting up various things on our campus for that, and uh, these are crucial days now leading into missions conference, and he wants to tell us about the meeting tonight for Mission Purban as well as the progress we're making on those decorations. Luke. So tonight is Thursday night. We still are having missionary prayer band tonight, typical at 8.40. We didn't have it last week due to the basketball game. We are having another basketball game, but it's a little bit earlier than last week. So we are able to have missionary prayer band tonight at 8.40. I encourage you guys to come out. We're going to keep it a little more brief tonight. We're going to have our typical prayer time like we normally do. But then what I'm going to ask is for anybody who comes out, we need a lot of help tonight. And can I just say... Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for everybody that's come out. I've had more people than tools to help, like, me help out. So I've had people standing around like, Luke, what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have anything else. But 
These next couple days are more critical. We have more work than ever the next couple days, so I need more help than ever. I want to thank you guys so much for your willing spirit. It's really encouraging to me that you guys are so willing to give up sleep late nights for helping out and just preparing for missionaries. Um, so here's the kind of the gist of what I need. I need a lot of help tonight because tonight and tomorrow night are really our last two long periods where we're going to start decorating the Kid City building. We have to have the Kid City building, the portion that we are decorating, 90% done by the end of Friday night. Because Saturday is when we have to have it done by 5, but I know a lot of you guys are going to Korean barbecue, we have outreach and stuff like that, so we have to have it mostly done before Saturday. And then when Saturday comes around, if you guys are going on outreach, when you come back, I need a couple people for finishing touches, but of course I'll be in contact with you. If you want to get involved, just reach out to me. I know a lot of people have my number, so if you don't have it, just reach out to somebody that probably does. And I just want to, again, thank you guys so very much for all your help. Um, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to have tonight. It's going to be great. And thank you guys so much. Thank you, Dr. Getch. All right. Take your Bible this morning. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Read just a few verses, starting in verse 28, 2 Samuel 13. Verse 28 reads, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you. Be courageous, be valiant. Valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man gat him up upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were in the way, the tidings came to David, saying, Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there's not one of them left. Then the king arose and tare his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants stood by him with their clothes rent. Every occupation needs replacements in order for that occupation to continue. If no one wants to be a policeman, then public safety is gone. If no one wants to enter the medical field, our healthcare system would collapse. If no one wants to be a farmer, we're going to starve to death. If no one desires to be an athlete, there are no games to watch. Amnon and Absalom were the sons of David. And likely candidates for spiritual leadership positions, maybe even king. We have a dilemma, and often the dilemma is talked about. Why is there such a vacuum 
of spiritual leaders today? Why are there not enough pastors? Why, why are there not enough evangelists, missionaries? Why are there not enough Christian educators and musicians? And we've heard all the answers. We've, we've heard the possibilities. Well, you know, it's, it's difficult to get training. It's, it's, it costs a lot. It, 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 you've got to leave home. You, you, you've got to go to college. You, you, you've got to work a job. And it's, it's tedious. It's, it's, it's difficult. It, it's a grind. And, and I, don't, I just, there's, there's an easier path than to go to Bible college and train for ministry. And, and besides, ministry is kind of a risk. I mean, it's not easy. We, there, there, there seems to be coming persecution. I mean, it could be dangerous to be in the ministry. And all of those, no doubt, are contributing factors. They certainly are things we think about. But maybe the problem occurs prior to that. What kept Amnon from being a candidate for leadership in the kingdom? I believe there are four reasons why Amnon was missing from ministry. I think, first of all, we would see that there was an inward flaw. Go back to verse 1 of this same chapter 13. The Bible says in verse 1, It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Amnon has a problem in his head. There's a flaw in his thinking. Tamar is his half-sister. Yet Amnon, in his mind, in his heart, desires her physically. He wants to commit a sexual act with Tamar, but she's pure. In fact, later in the chapter, it tells us that she wore a special garment of divers colors, for with such garments were the king's daughters who were virgins apparelled. So there was obviously something that the young ladies wore in those days in the kingdom that signified their virginity, the fact that they were pure. And so it wasn't just, you know, someone saying, I'm a virgin. It was something they wore on the outside. They, they, they demonstrated it. They, they weren't ashamed of it. And so Amnon, he, he sees this, he understands this, and he, he's, he's lusting after her in his, in his mind, but he's saying, I, I'm not going to get first base with that girl. She's a, she's a virgin. She's pure. But in his mind, he has this flaw. He thought it hard to do anything to her, verse 2 says. In his mind, he's thinking about what he wants to do, He's thinking about what he could do if he could get away with it. 
He's thinking about what he, he desires, but he's restrained by the fact that she's being pure. But in his mind, there's a flaw. Perhaps no one knew about it. Perhaps no one noticed it. David seems oblivious to what's going on in his son's heart and mind. Tamar is completely taken by surprise. Absalom doesn't seem to be aware. So all of this is taking place in his mind or in his heart. Do you think about sin? Do you imagine sin? We had a preacher a few weeks ago which preached a message about 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Did you think about that message? Did, did you make any changes in your life with respect to that message? Has it altered you in any way? I mean, we come to chapel every day, we hear a lot of good things, but does it change anything? That preacher was very careful to explain to us what that means. It, it's talking about this, this imaginative sin in our heart, this imagination in our mind. Genesis 6 and verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man that it was great upon the earth and that the imaginations of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. God looked down prior to the flood. God looked down at the wickedness of that day, but he looked far farther than simply the outward appearance of the sin that was going on. He saw the imaginations of their hearts. And it was wicked continually. They, they were in a constant thought process of sin. And by the way, this process of thinking about sin, of imagining sinful scenarios, is in the list of things that God hates. These six things that the Lord hate is seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. And by the way, the next one is feet that are swift and running to that mischief. You see, it all starts up here. It all starts with what we allow here. And God hates those imaginations that turn into the feet, run into mischief. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 1, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. The third step in this process of moving completely away from God into all kinds of horrible sins is you know God, but you don't acknowledge him as God. In other words, he's God, but he's not the God of your life. He's no longer in control. He's not in the driver's seat. He, you know who he is. You worship him. You sing. You pray. You, you come forward at an invitation, but, but he's not in control. You know God, but he, you're not treating him as God. And then you're not thankful. You're not grateful. And then when that happens, then there's this imagination that creeps in. 
We say, well, I'm not hurting anybody, Dr. Yetch. I'm, I, it's all up here. I mean, I, I've never carried out any of these things. I, I think about some stuff that I probably shouldn't, but nobody knows about it. I'm not hurting anybody. You might want to look at Ezekiel 11:5, where God says, I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Does anything in your mind hurt God this morning? Does anything grieve his holiness, his purity? He knows every thought that's ever been in this mind, all of them. And he says in Proverbs 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to act on it, Dr. Gash. I'm not, I, I would never carry it out. I, that, that's what Amnon's thinking. He's thinking about all these lustful things. He's thinking about all this that he wants to do to this young lady. But, but he, I, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it because she's pure and I'd never get away with it. I'd get caught and I'd be in trouble. And so he, he's restraining from an action. But in his mind, he's committing this sin over and over again. And God says the thought of foolishness is sin. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination unto the Lord. And be careful because as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We may think, oh, it'll never happen. Well, it happened here. He thought it hard to do anything. He thought, I'll never cross that line. I'll never step into that actual sin. It's all in my head. It's all just up here in my thoughts. It'll never happen to me. But it did. Satan will make sure he gives you an opportunity to act on your thoughts. And so we see this inward flaw. But that is then coupled with an infectious friend. Look at verse 3. But, ooh, that's a powerful conjunctive word, isn't it? But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come, and give me meat, and dress the meat in my sight, that I may see it, and eat it at her hand. Jonadab begins to contrive this plan whereby Amnon can rape his sister. He had a friend. None of this sad story takes place without the wrong friend. He thought it hard. He had all these wicked thoughts and God knew those thoughts and they were an abomination to God. But Amnon never would have acted on those thoughts without this infectious friend. Who are your friends? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Hold your spot here if you want to and go to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. 
Our friends are something that we, we get to choose. And thus we become sort of defensive about them because they're our friends. We protect them, we guard them because we, we like them. And so we don't like it when God talks to us about our friendships. But he does say an awful lot about it. And here in Proverbs 22, I want you to look at verse 24. He's very blunt here, and he says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. So if you're trying to figure out who should be a friend, God says, Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man thou shalt not go. Okay, well, on the surface, that, that boy, that makes sense. I mean, you don't want to hang around somebody that loses their cool and uh, you know, gets mad easily gets into a rage. I mean, that's not the kind of person most of us desire to be around. But you know, you, you keep reading the Bible, and the Bible is a commentary on itself, isn't it? And sometimes the things that we interpret on the surface turn out to have a little different interpretation as God explains it. So go to Proverbs. Hold your place there if you want to, if you've got another finger available. Go to Proverbs 29. And verse 22, he says, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. So if you read Proverbs 22, you're, you're kind of like, okay, angry people. I, I need to stay away from angry people. I, I don't want to be around people that lose their temper and get mad, and that's not the kind of person I want to marry, or that's not the kind of person I want to be around as a close friend. I just need to avoid those people. But he defines anger then in Proverbs 29. An angry man stirreth up strife. So that's, that's a little different definition. He's saying an angry man here is somebody that's undermining authority. That, that's undermining what God says. It's always got something to say about the sermon. Something always critical about a rule. Something always, you know, negative about a teacher or uh, about authority, their parents or whatever. He's stirring up strife. And he's trying to get you to enter into that strife. He's trying to get you to agree with him about it. An angry man, stirreth up strife. Make no friendship with that angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. And the rest of verse 22 here in Proverbs 29 says, And a furious man aboundeth in transgression. So basically a furious man here is defined as someone who's full of sin. They're abounding in transgression. They're abounding in breaking what God has said is right and true. You have any friends like that? Oh, here on campus there. Yes, sir, Brother Blim. God bless you, sir. But then they go off campus, and you know what they do. Abounding in transgression at the first opportunity they have. Now, God back in Proverbs 22 says, Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man thou shalt not go. Next verse, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 
This is why God is giving the warning. This is why God is saying, be careful about your friends because you're going to learn their ways. You're going to get a snare to your soul. And how true is that in the story of Amnon back here in 2 Samuel 13? He has a snare now in his soul. It all started with just a thought. It all started with something in his head. It all started with something he, he never imagined perhaps that he would ever carry out in an action. But now the devil brings along this, this infectious friend, which puts all those thoughts into action. Which direction are your friends taking you? This summer, a lady came up to me in a church, and I was anticipating the conversation. She never said, hi, how are you, or how are you doing, or good morning. She just walked up to me and said, pray for my son. I said, I do. I pray for him often. He was a student here, not that long ago. Fine young man, very talented. And I remember the conversation that we had after his second year. I just felt like West Coast was kind of not challenging enough for him academically. He wanted to maybe get a little different kind of an education. Felt like he was a strong Christian. He could go into a university setting and be fine. I remember sitting there warning him. I believe you are a strong Christian. I, I, I don't know your heart, but I, I think you do have some. You've been raised right. And you've been in a good church. and you, You've demonstrated here that, that you, you have some convictions, but be careful. Because you're not going to have the support cast you have here that you're going to have there. There are going to be a lot of people doing some things that you don't believe are right. And you know are wrong. And we talked for a long time. And all that next summer, I, I, I texted him here and there and said, hey. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to the university. I'm going to the university. And he did. His mom said, pray for him. I asked him to come to church, she said, but he, he never comes. He has a boyfriend. And that friend is influencing him in all the wrong ways. What am I saying? We can, we can think we're protected here. We can think that I'm at Bible college. I, I'm in a good place. There are wrong friends here. There are wrong friends out there. You must be very careful because it starts with an inward flaw. But the devil will make sure to bring along an infectious friend, which leads to, thirdly, an infamous fall. I almost hate to read these verses. But God records for us, starting in verse 6 of 2 Samuel 13, Amnon lay down and made himself sick. Notice, made himself sick. 
And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. She took a pan and poured them out before him, and, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have out all men from me. And they went out, every man from him. Be careful when you eliminate accountability in your life. And Amnon said, Tamar, said unto Tamar, Bring the meat into the chamber, into the bedroom, that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. Folly is another word for sin in the book of Proverbs. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king. He'll not withhold me from thee. We can do this the right way. We could get married. We don't have to do this. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her, verse 14. But being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. And Amnon hated her exceedingly. So the hatred with he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he loved her. By the way, there are different words for the word love. Amnon did not love Tamar in the sense of agape love, the true love. He had an eros love. He had an erotic love, a lustful love. He never loved her. Because love never fails. So if you rape somebody and you love them less after you rape them than before you raped them, you never love them. Because love never fails. And Namnon said unto her, Arise and be gone. And she said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servants that ministered unto him and said, Put now this woman out for me and bolt the door after her. And she had a great garment of divers colors upon her. For with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then his servants brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. You know, the thrill of sin never matches the tragedy of sin. It always seems like such a thrill to sin. The devil makes it that way. But it never matches the tragedy. He that loveth pleasure should be a poor man. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Sin is way overrated, guys. Lust, oh yeah, boy, that stuff gets going in your head and it looks in your head, it sounds in your brain, it, it, it feels in your, in your body so great. 
Read the story of David and Bathsheba. The looting, stealing, oh, I got away with it. I cheated. I got a good grade. I stole that thing at the store. Nobody saw me. Read the story of Achan, the Babylonish garment, the wedge of gold, the shekels of silver. It didn't turn out too good. A lie. Oh, I told a lie. <laughs> Nobody suspected it. They bought it. They bought my lie. Brother Blem believes me. Check the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Lies never turn out too good. Liberty, oh man, I can't wait till the break, man. I can't wait to just get back to my deal, back to what I want to do, man. Just live free, don't have any of these rules. Yeah, read the story of the prodigal son. Didn't turn out too good. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Even as I've seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. The seeds of sin do not come as advertised. The harvest is way overrated. And it leads to an irreversible finish. The purity of Tamar is gone. It can never be brought back. It can never be the same. Amnon is dead. We read it at the end of the chapter. His life's gone. Absalom's death would soon follow. These were the king's kids. They're nowhere near the ministry. The most likely. The ones in Bible college. The ones that are being prepared. They're, they're supposed to be ready for interview days. See, the devil knows the harvest is plenteous. The devil knows the need for laborers. And yet he's knocking out the candidates way before interview days with inward flaws, infectious friends, and infamous falls into sin. We have 66 ministries coming next week. I don't even know if we can fit all the tables in here. More than we've ever had. Every year it grows. I think Dr. Spath could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's probably about 10 more than last year. 66 ministries. And they don't all need one person. Some of them need seven or eight. And I was thinking about this yesterday in senior chapel. I was looking at those seniors. They're great. They're going to do great. There's not enough of them. But then I was thinking yesterday, there would have been enough of them if all the freshmen had stayed. 
I mean, four years ago, there were enough of them to meet the need now. When the class came in of 24, there were enough to meet the need of these 66 ministries that are going to be in here. But there's not enough now. Why? Because the devil knew four years ago what the need was going to be, and he started picking them off. And the, devil, and the devil knows what the need is going to be four years from now. And he's trying to pick some of you freshmen off right now. He's trying to discourage some of you sophomores. He's trying to get some of you to quit now because he's trying to keep people from going to these vast fields that are white unto harvest. And it starts way before we get to interview days or even college how many, I mean, we have thousands of prospects that we write, that we call, that we, I mean, ask our admissions team. We've got thousands of high school kids that we are in constant contact with. There's enough of them to meet the need in this world if they all went somewhere, maybe not West Coast, but somewhere to train to serve God. But the devil's picking them off. Amnon and Absalom, what could have been, what should have been. But they got picked off from the ministry because of an inward flaw. How's it doing up here, guys? What's going on up here? I know one thing, my notes up here don't match that kid's notes down there because he's been doodling the whole service. Now, maybe he's listening, but my notes don't match yours. Now, I'm just saying, what are you thinking? What's going on in your brain? Who are your friends? And if you're starting to slip, if you're starting to fall, it's real hard to reverse that. If you've ever slipped on ice, it's hard to go halfway down and get out of that quick. You're going down. You're going all the way down. Some of those things are irreversible. 